0: Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. What do you get when you bring an organizational development coach together with a visionary who is totally connected to spirit? Well, you get Roger Barrington. Today on the program, I'm joined by one of the most inspiring guys I've ever met. Roger Barrington is here joining us, sharing all about how to bring more gratitude, hope, optimism, and spirit into your life. So sit back, relax and let's connect i recently started a soul group with a couple friends here in the city of winnipeg and um, it all started because i have a friend named joanne clausen who some of you may have heard on a previous episode of let's connect joanne is um, one of the most inspiring people i know as well she reminds me a lot of one of my mentors louise hay Um, joanne started a, a school called heart space writing school and has been on a journey her entire life to bring more spirit, more play, more vulnerability into the world and um, honoring our true self. And so I I ran into Joanne at a book launch where I was speaking and we hit it off and we ended up meeting a few times. And out of that spurred um, my connection with today's guest, Roger Barrington. Uh, I met Roger through Joanne and Uh, The first time I met Roger, it actually happened by complete um, unexpected circumstances. I was at Joanne's place having tea. And uh, I showed up at Joanne's at the wrong time, uh, the wrong scheduled time by accident, and in walked Roger, who said, hey, I'm here for tea. And uh, it turned out that we somehow, along the way, were supposed to connect, even though it was not logistically on our calendars that way. Anyway, long story short, I was having tea with Roger and Joanne. And as I was sitting there listening to them both speak, it felt like I was in the room um, reincarnated with... Louise Hay and another one of my mentors, Wayne Dyer. Many of you know him because I speak about him a lot on the show. Um, long story short, listening to them speak and feeling the synergy of the three of us, we started a soul group. And um, we meet regularly and we support each other in all levels of development. And it's one of the most sacred, powerful groups that uh, I belong to. I, uh, In the little time that I've known Roger and also Joanne, I feel like when they talk about soulmates and people that have literally um, met up with you in previous lifetimes, these two people are that for me. So I'm really excited about today's episode because uh, Roger agreed to come on today and discuss some of the work that he's done in the world. This is an outstanding uh, human being or should I say spiritual being as we're going to talk about on the the episode today. Um, Rogers background is very diverse. He uh, was was and is a minister but uh, in in addition to that, he also is the founder and Uh, I should say genius here, behind a program called Can You, which is all about um, connecting university students with uh, inner city students and schools from across the province of Manitoba. They get together, they teach each other, they collaborate. It's this beautiful program that Roger's gonna explain more about. Um, And in addition to that, one of Roger's greatest strengths is his ability to to coach and to mentor and to help people, especially in organizational development. um, he's just a diverse guy, but the work he's doing, specifically with companies and um, people in terms of organizing and developing, um, I don't know if there's a better match for that. He, he's just an incredible guy that way. So um, there's so much I want to say about him, but I would say that some of the key things about Roger are he's inspiring hope in the world. He's instilling confidence in our youth and um, in our business workplace as well. And he's just doing a lot of what I might call social innovation and organizational design. He's incredible. So I could go on and on and gush, but uh, I'm really excited for you to hear firsthand from the incredible uh, Roger Barrington. Here he is. Here in the sunroom, this brand new sunroom that you just... uh, acquired roger (laughs) great to have you here in the podcast oh
1: thanks keith for meeting me here this is one of my favorite places yeah
0: i love going out of my own location to do podcasts because it um, has a whole other energy to it and whenever i come over to your place and this is a fairly new place for you um but it feels a lot like the last place in a way the energy is always so good here oh that's that's
1: great i i feel it too and i'm glad to uh, i want my home to be a place where people feel uh, accepted, welcomed, even loved.
0: I love that. Yeah. Well, from the minute I met you, and uh, it goes back a little bit now, but the, the minute I met you, I just felt the energy of one of my heroes, Wayne Dyer. You just emanate his energy. Maybe it's the haircut. And it might be the haircut. Yeah. You guys both are lacking a little hair. <laughs> but uh, there it really is a love presence to you, and yet like a bold Courage to you as well mm-hmm. and uh, I felt it from the second we met. Oh, well, Thanks. Have Thank it, has it, it always been like that for you? Oh uh, I doubt it. No,
1: definitely not. Um, in fact, I think You know, I grew up in Winnipeg and my um, I, I had young parents who um, Didn't have a lot of help becoming parents or being spouses to each other and so I grew up in a home where um a lot of potential existed, but my parents couldn't figure out how to make it work. So I, I was the only child and, um, I had to go through some pretty difficult things that children shouldn't have to go through. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in this idea that, um, uh, the pathway to transformation is through suffering and love. And, um, we, wow. if we look at our pathway in life, and we see uh, the obstacles, or the constraints, or the struggles as actually our friends uh, to help us to be uh, to become who we were meant to be and who we have the potential to be. I think that that enables us to see life differently, and that so that started for me as a fairly young person, but it it was a long, uh, long
0: process. Wow! So just in the very beginning, when this was kind of not real or not made aware to you. Um, what were some of the struggles? Like what, what was your original path to, mm. to getting to where you are now? Well, you know, I, I mean, as a teenager, uh, you know, my, my mom was a real
1: resilient person and very hardworking and very kind and loving, protective of me. But I, I did feel kind of alone in that part of my life. My friends didn't have the same family reality that I had. And um, so I learned how to kind of cope and hide um, things that were um, painful for me and but it, it caused me to kind of become uh, very introspective and very uh, thoughtful. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's only in retrospect that you can begin to see that these seeds were starting to form and these patterns and behaviors, uh, good and bad, started to emerge. and. But one of the good things was that I became uh, very thoughtful, and um, I mean, in terms of processing and thinking about life deeply, and uh, and I was sensitive to other people. I knew that, you know, I know that from a very young age. I uh, and I am I am assuming that that you know had a lot to do with uh, with wanting to be wanting to treat other people the way I wanted to be treated, and so this sensitivity, this kind of awareness, this. thoughtfulness started to grow inside of me and kind of, you know, when I went away to university for my first year, I, you know, I I had a significant, uh, you know, I kind of liken (laughs) my high school years and my first year university to my own kind of book of Ecclesiastes, you know, uh, where, you know, someone's searching for meaning and they, you know, and I was subconsciously, but rather systematically testing out different uh, pathways to happiness. And, and that's when you know spirituality became pretty important to me, uh, and that launched me into the next phase of my life, where I was being formed by uh, a new, a rather new belief system for me that uh, saw the world differently, saw the world uh, as a place filled with purpose, filled with uh, the potential for uh, love and grace and compassion and mercy to be extended to all people. And uh, that became a real formative time in my life, too.
0: Wow. So I'm just blown away by a few things here. One is just coming from, it almost feels like a place of not knowing, into just complete awareness of wisdom. Like, Is that how that went? Well, you know, to be honest, I think
1: that... uh, you know, there was a kind of a dormant period where, you you know, you kind of, I I like Rohr's analogy of two halves of life where you, Richard Rohr, where you have to, um, you know, you have to kind of become, you have to have the kind of a law-based approach to life for a while before you can pass through it and get to the other side, which is uh, that creative, loving, free side of life. And and so that was my time for a a long time. I became quite... I'll use the term religious, I I really don't like that term. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's lacking, and it's often misunderstood. But so that was a time where, you know, I I had built some structures in my life, and I was in a part of uh, broader communities that helped me to lay down a foundation that is that served me so well, you know, in terms of, being on this pathway to what you call wisdom and you know, I, I don't think anybody ever arrives there and I but I you know I I think mm. that certainly I appreciate that kind of thinking now more than I ever have and um, I'm, I'm grateful uh, for that time in my life where I had kind of a more of a narrow view of of uh, the world and of faith and uh, of people and uh, I'm I you know, I feel like now in the last 10 years or so 15 years maybe i have i've come out the other side of that and that becomes uh you know i'm I'm learning how to apply that to in love and compassion and mercy to the contexts around me
0: wow was there an actual pivotal moment that moved you from that sort of morning of your life to the afternoon or yeah i would i would say so yeah there was a
1: um, you know, I mean, it's an interesting story, Keith, the, the, I was in, actually, I was in Toronto on a, on a business trip, and, uh, and I was uh, riding in a, in a car in the passenger seat with a, friend, a colleague of mine, and he got a phone call from a mutual friend of ours, and she happened to be a former Canadian Olympian who um, had gone through some really traumatic things in her life and come out on the other side as someone who had started... Uh, really beautiful thing in downtown Toronto with newcomers to Canada and she called it simply the running and reading clubs And her name was Sylvia Ruger. She or is Sylvia Ruger She's an amazing person and a great friend of mine and an inspiration to me But in, so I got the phone because Luch couldn't talk on the phone And so I started talking to Sylvia and she was sharing with me this really new thing in her life And I was blown away by it. And I felt the nudge and prompting of something much bigger than me say, Roger, there's lots of kids in Winnipeg that would benefit from something like this. Man, Winnipeg has some of the highest rates of, uh, you know, childhood poverty of anywhere in Canada. And and while I wasn't really familiar with that, I, uh, you know, my, my career to that point had been working with university students. So I asked Sylvia, I said, Sylvia, would you mind if I... Uh, if I started one of your programs in Winnipeg in one of our schools, and she right away said, "Yeah," so it was mm. I came back to Winnipeg and I started investigating the, all the uh, uh, you know the highest need schools in our in our city, and I identified fourteen of these elementary schools that would be great candidates for the program. And then I had the very difficult decision of deciding which one to choose, right? Which thirteen <laughs> to leave out, and um, and I landed on one school. And it was the right school you know as i look back on it a beautiful school and i began to uh, invite university students to come and be coaches and mentors to these amazing kids who just don't have the same opportunities or realities as so many others and you know as an aside in retrospect i realized now that uh, what was happening was i was actually reaching me as a you know a nine-year-old kid or a ten-year-old kid wow yeah I, i did i didn't realize it at the time but uh, and this started to change everything for me. Um, you know, I was working with uh, diverse groups of kids and families and people. And pretty soon we went from one of these programs, after school programs, to six of them, three in Winnipeg and three in northern communities in Manitoba. And I was learning so much about so many sad uh, and systemic social issues. And um, so this was going on for four or five years. I was volunteering in this coordinator role and getting to know the school system, getting to know the issues related to poverty and and race and and different things. And and, um, about five or six years into it, there was another pivotal moment. And uh, I had been working in a tough school in our city. And I was having trouble getting these university students to volunteer mm. in that school. They were, they were busy. They had classes. They didn't have a car. They were scared. You know, there were different things going on in their lives. And so I, I had a constraint. I, I didn't have enough volunteers. And I could have shut down the program. I could have thought of, you know, I could have given up. And, and I probably would have. Um, And then simultaneously though, I met a a new family to Canada that was their oldest daughter and they had six children, but the oldest daughter was attending the school. She was in grade six. She had just come to Canada from really tough circumstance. She was in tough circumstance and her name's Mary. And so Mary was this beacon of light and hope in this school. Wow. Um, And she's... She just reminded me of my two daughters, you know, brilliant kid, super hardworking, super respectful, full, absolutely full of potential. Wow. But I knew that if she didn't have kind of an introduction, exposure, experience in, in to other resources that, you know, the odds were against her and um so in that moment uh, at that Winnipeg school, I thought, if I can't get the uh, university students to the Marys of the world, maybe I can get the Marys to the university students. And so, you know, I, I founded an organization based on that thought that day called uh, Can You uh, or the University of Cannes. And it's also quite a challenge. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit of a challenge. Can you make a difference? Can you? Wow. You know,
0: yeah. Right, so that's when that was actually born. That the, the, the idea I was born,
1: kind of... and and the process of partnering with those schools for five years um, gave me certainly a lot of experience, but also a little bit of credibility in in those communities to offer uh, a new uh, program or a new idea to those principals of those schools, and so. I uh, I worked with those three principals, those Winnipeg schools, to do a pilot program uh, to start CanU, and we had fifteen kids in in that first year. Wow! And, and we figured out how to get them to the University of Manitoba, and uh, and we you know did some homework with them, and we uh, did some nutrition cooking lessons, and we uh, had some physical activity. So, and but now you know. Nine years later, there are 750 kids from 58 schools with over 850 uh, university student volunteers leading, designing, leading, uh, mentoring and all those programs. So wow. it's really, it's you know, it's And Now Can You is a registered Canadian charity and quite, uh, you know, quite influential, quite impactful in Winnipeg.
0: That's incredible. Just to go from the vision of just a little, little vision in your head and it turns into be this massive dream that kind of explodes and turns into reaching over 750 kids yeah. so just to, to clarify for people that aren't familiar with the program you literally are seeing these students in um in the schools going into the universities and being mentored by university students yeah and and, and wow. participating in all these different
1: educational opportunities and really you know i mean there's layers and layers of benefit that we've kind of uh, built into it that they would uh, develop a sense of belonging in a post-secondary environment so that the number one barrier to a uh, post-secondary education is not finances, it's familiarity. So mm-hmm. you know, just by, by virtue of the fact that these kids starting in grade five can feel very, very comfortable on a huge university campus like the University of Manitoba and be introduced to you know many of the different fields of study that they may be interested in and they get to discover themselves what their interests and aptitudes are and we of course are are there to guide them along the way and to, to help them figure that out but you know we we set out at the beginning to me and a few of my friends just to um, you know, kind of be a resource to a few kids. But little did we know that one of the big things that would happen through Can you, because again of constraints, you know, a limited funding, limited space and resources, is that we then turn to a partnership model and a volunteer model where, uh, you know, the university students began to be the ones who enthusiastically began to design all these programs. And so the engineering students design the engineering programs, the science students. So they have this um, incredible personal and professional developmental experience conveniently right on campus. Uh, It's transformative. But it wouldn't have happened if we would have had, uh, you know, greater resources. And uh, so... This That's is, amazing. Yeah. So, Keith, this is one of my favorite things. You know, this is something that has happened to me in, in recent years is... Uh, what's called, con- you know, a, a beautiful constraint. So the idea of turning obstacles and barriers and constraints into uh, opportunities for innovation and creative thinking and problem solving. And and so I, I'm I think it's it's ridiculous. Like now <laughs> I I love the idea every time a constraint comes up, I uh, I go, OK, well, what? incredibly creative solution are we going to find to doing this and and Whoa. so our you know the staff uh, my staff uh, they were actually we're not allowed to use the word can't or the you know the phrase can't in can you so that's brilliant <laughs> yeah we the we're not the, the staff are not allowed to use it so they uh, they have to say we can you know we we have to begin to think we can if we think a certain way so that's uh that's where uh you know we find ourselves
0: wow it's like so creatively innovative to just open your mind beyond the limitations that we tend to put on ourselves. is what what, exactly. what i think yeah. of here how do That's you get well i mean i like the idea that um you can't say the word can't <laughs> can't can't but how does somebody move into that mindset like how did you even get to that place where you were thinking in the world of can?
1: Yeah, I don't know, like, I I wish I knew, like, I think this is, uh, this is kind of world changing stuff. And, and I I think, you know, for me, you know, I'm growing in my conviction that uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest limitation we have is in our thinking. And uh, so if we're, if we are unable, or if we're locked into negative thoughts or negative uh, ideas of things, if we uh if if we don't see opportunity but rather if we see obstacles we're it's it's not a fun place to be trapped in and uh so there's but i think it's possible it happened with me to for the most part you know to be able to have a little switch flicked in my head where i'm able to say well no, wait a second you know and then there's certainly so many areas of my life where i struggle with with uh, uh being um you know, not as hopeful as I want to be or not as positive as I want to be. But, you know, this this has been something that has been growing inside of me and and uh, becoming easier for me to do, if that makes sense.
0: Is there any, like, specific practices or uh, routines that you've incorporated mm. into your life to, to enhance that way of thinking mm. or be? Yeah, what a great question. Uh, um, you know, I do, uh, I do
1: um, read. Uh, a lot and uh, i so I, I i am a voracious student of some very positive people and um, who encourage the the pursuit of a life well lived and a life that is authentic And uh, so that's one of the main things. In fact, I sit right here every single morning and have a beautiful French press coffee and uh, start my day. (laughs) And and I have some very good friends who I uh, am able to be completely um, authentic with. uh, And we journey together in this. And uh, so those, you know, uh, a little community of people you know, one or two in particular that, uh, are, are beautiful friends to me and who accept me and who, you know, provide me with a safe place to talk about, uh, my thoughts and, and, um, I don't feel self-conscious or, uh, judged. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I would say those two things have, have mentors, uh, people who've gone down this path before who have lots of wisdom and have, uh, a little community of people that encourage you along the way.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, it's just so awesome whenever I'm with you because I can feel that transformative effect that comes off of you um, because you're living that, that way of just positive thinking, of that opening your mind beyond the limits. And it's amazing to be in the presence of somebody that really is living that intentionally, and it almost seems like that's at the forefront of how you're being while you're doing everything that you're doing. Mm. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the, uh, The walks that you do you've told me a little bit about this this practice where you're walking and and sometimes even talking out on the street (laughs) yeah almost always talking out, out loud yeah and i
1: i know that i get some looks uh for this so i i do you know especially when i feel like um i'm i am slipping into that kind of negative mindset and and you know, again, I have a number of mentors who have helped me understand what I think is going on inside of me and all of us at times. You know, the the um, what what some might call the ego or the false self. Um, yep. This uh, this part of us that is necessary. That it really the 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 reality of that part of us is to keep us safe. And so the false self's desire is, to, uh, is towards affection and attention, towards power and control and to security and safety, and, and those are important. But I think those three things really cause us, if we let the false self rule, Uh, we are going to hunker down in a very small little way of looking at life. And I love one of the phrases you use, the definition of fear being false evidence appearing real. I think that is uh, the definition of a false self. That is a great way of expressing it, that it is false evidence appearing real. And so on these walks of mine, I you know, my practice is to name that, to name those, uh, those fears, those false evidences that appear real and to uh, call them what they are and to actually speak to my false self and thank him for trying to keep me safe. Uh, But really that recognizing that that is not the pathway to authenticity or love or, or purpose. And so Then in these walks, I, in my thinking and in my, I I vocalize and verbalize this, I transition to uh, recognizing a much higher way of looking, in my opinion, you know, that kind of authentic self that's in tune with um, you know, I'll call it the divine flow or this, this spirit that, uh, uh, you know, recognizes and loves me and who I am intended and created to be that can fulfill great things. You know, even, you know, me from very humble circumstance, you know, can be used for high purposes. And um, But I, if I'm always residing in that small False self, I I can't live the life that
0: either I want to live or that I'm destined to live. Yeah. Do you find like there's a constant um, dance between those two places? Like I I find for myself that uh, although I have such grand intentions of being completely always connected to spirit and just letting that lead, I can't tell you how many times like a thought will just come up or a trigger that I'm not even consciously aware of, and it just it pulls me completely away it's like a, a wall goes up between me and my creative self and there's this constant practice of returning like it, it, do you have that experience is oh, this yeah. normal oh yeah. <laughs>
1: i think it is I, yeah and, but I, and i i don't think too many people are aware of it i like mm-hmm. a dance is a very nice way to put it i would call it a wrestling match you know are oh, right like, yeah, it feels it, like it, that yeah it's it's um for sure and i love your use of the word trigger because i think uh, it, it, it is so amazing to me how I can be in such a fantastic space and I can see something or hear a lyric in a song or have a thought flash through my mind. And it is like a trigger that sends me fleeing into my false self to be safe and to resume control or power over my little life. and Yes. And so uh, one of the things that I love considering is how do we break the pattern of that trigger? In fact, Keith, you and I have a beautiful friend, Joanne Clausen, who I asked her this in a recent workshop. I said, Joanne, how do we replace that, the, trigger, the negative uh, patterns that flow out of a trigger and, and find a positive? And she said, literally, she taught me a little thing in that workshop mm. about being able to... Uh, turn that on a dime and be able to have a positive trigger that launches us into more of the authentic self thinking.
0: Wow. So what would be an example of that? That's a great... I totally want to learn this myself.
1: Well, so <laughs> she said, you know, she encouraged me to find something very physical uh, that I could, like, that I could touch. And again, I think it depends on on the, the person that we are. Are we tactile? Are we visual? Are we uh, verbal? So I, uh, I actually went, I had, uh, I had been given a gift about 25 or 30 years ago of a six or 700 year old crucifix from Ethiopia, Orthodox Church. Wow. And I never wore it. And um and so i uh, and i had went out at one time and got a beautiful leather um necklace or whatever you know it would be called and uh i decided that this would be my positive trigger so i'm now wearing this you can see it right here yeah and um in a moment of those dark uh, fear fear inspired triggers i will literally i will touch this i will hold this and it resets me almost immediately almost 100% of the time. So I know that's not something that everybody would do or would work for everybody, but for me, it's been a helpful process in being able to just identify the fact that there can be a positive uh, way of uh, responding to that negative tr- trigger more quickly. I find that if it takes me too long to, if I settle into that negative trigger, and I like it's, I call it a spiral. Like it, it's just, it, you yes, know, it's hard to, it's like sliding down. Uh, a slide. You, you can't stop yourself.
0: Yes, totally. And I find too that when I'm really busy and I have so much going on that I, and I don't take the time and it could be just a millisecond, but if I'm just constantly in doing mode, which so many of us are, yeah. we forget. And then it, it does spiral, like you say, into this kind of negative trap or disconnection from the highest part of ourselves, yeah. that spirit. So I love this idea that you would grab hold of a, a physical trigger that that reminds you or Maybe it's a word that you, some you say, or a phrase, exactly. or an affirmation, or oh, you know, something. And, and, and and affirmations. In fact, uh, you know, in
1: your in your book, I love it. You introduced me to three deep breaths, and um, you yeah. know, something else that I have uh, that has really uh, been a beautiful uh, way for me to deal with those negative triggers. So I, I, you know, so I agree with you. Affirmations have become a a big important part of my routine, and again, in the on those walks that I was sharing with you. You know, I, I, I name and reframe and claim and, and tame those things. and But ultimately, at the end of it, it's an affirmation. And the affirmation is who I'm intended to be and who I really am. And so it's, I, I love it. I mean, these, these and in the winter in Winnipeg, it's, it's sometimes tough to bundle up and, and go for a walk in the middle of the winter. But uh, if I don't, it's, it's hard for me to break out of it.
0: Yeah, you'll literally be frozen, not just <laughs> physically, but mentally frozen from your spirit. Yeah. Wow. Um, back to just your your work with can you and with students. And I you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about what an interesting and can be challenging time for, for youth these days growing up yeah. in the world of digital technology, Amazing. social media. Yeah. There's just so much so many distractions and It's so busy. It's totally different. I suspect than in a lot of ways than when we grew up. Yeah, Yeah. to to be honest,
1: I don't even want to think about it. Like I think it's just so overwhelming to to think of the challenges for young people these days.
0: Yeah, it's it's through the roof, and I just am curious because in some ways you've been on the front lines with a lot of our youth, and um, I'm curious from you, like in terms of the can you perspective of what we can do to encourage. Our students and our youth to um, to move into balance and maybe not be so swayed by there's mm-hmm. like, so much negativity in that the social media and everything else going on. Wow, you know what a huge topic and, and yeah,
1: yeah. So I you know I think you know first of all for to help a to help a student to kind of right size or help a young person right size that uh, that world of social media and just recognize that. Uh, the one of the traps of it is that we are always comparing ourselves, and, and we know who we are and we know how we struggle to the best version of somebody else. They're kind of highlight reels, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram. We always get, you know, the stories of yes. uh, you know, you know, whatever vacations or you know great parties or whatever is going on so i feel like it's just so unfair because uh we fall into the trap of comparing ourselves to the best version of somebody else Mm -hmm. and and even even in that if a young person can understand that that's not true that that uh everybody else has the same doubts and fears and insecurities that we have. Then we're kind of on a level playing field, Mm. but to also inspire an environment where, um, we don't just fall into that rather lazy habit of accessing, uh, social media all the time. I've disconnected virtually completely from social media in the last couple of years. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, get some pressure to, to be active on Twitter and do different things. But I, I, I really feel, uh, you know, that that's an unhealthy place for uh, for a lot of us to be. And it's certainly a time consumer for me. And I, do, I do, simply don't want to spend the time doing that. But for young people, it's really, it's like an addiction. It's really hard to break free of of. Spending our time on our devices or on our phones like that, and um, so if we can, if we can inspire kids to see, that, hey, there's a whole bigger world out there of, of relationship and of learning and of opportunity to serve others. Uh, you know, then the inspiration can kind of take hold and draw us out of that.
0: Wow, I love it, and I, I see that happening just in the little bit I've learned of Can You, where it's you're not digitally based. It's like you're in person, yeah. I- interacting with other human beings in the real moment. Mm-hmm. Like this is why I love to do podcasts in person as much as I can. Is because uh, even as soon as we get a screen in front of us, there's like this. Kind of disconnect, you know. Yeah, well said. Yeah, so I I absolutely love it, and spoken a lot like Wayne Dyer again, who I don't think had any. He didn't run any of his social media. He didn't even know how to to text his daughters. Like it's so it's great. You're (laughs) carrying on his tradition beautifully, Roger. Well, I'd like to text my daughters more
1: often, but I I do text them once in a while.
0: (laughs) I love it. It's great. I um I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about um you mentioned it earlier a little bit around. Religion versus spirituality, because um, the bit I know about you here, like you were actually a minister at one point in your life, is that correct? Yeah, I still am, yeah. And you still are, yeah. So, are you a minister of a church, or is it? So I, I'm uh, I am affiliated.
1: I chose not to be ordained so that I didn't have a, um, you know, uh, focus with one particular expression of the Christian faith. But uh, you know, I, um, I've been a Christian minister for you know 30 something years and um and so you know and and part of me as i alluded to earlier didn't quite feel um totally uh, a good fit in kind of what I would consider to be institutional Christendom, you know. And, and uh, that was part of the reason why I wouldn't want to put all my eggs in kind of one denominational basket. And so I'm, a, you know, I, I find myself, I worked uh, affiliated for many years with a interdenominational, transdenominational organization, a faith-based organization. And that, that was a big part of my life and uh, very, very helpful to me. And now I find myself building on that and um, being more committed than ever to um, you know, what I believe to be the nature and character of God as uh, someone who is uh, love, light, and life and who wants us all uh, to recognize that our journey here on this planet is going to be filled with disappointments and pain and um, setbacks. But they can all be redemptive. They can all um, uh, lead us to a place where we uh, uh, understand that we're very loved by, by a God who is much bigger than we could ever imagine uh, God to wow. be. And then to also begin to live our lives in such a way that we are, uh, you know, that kind of conduit of, of grace and compassion and mercy and love to the people that... Uh, you know or, or come across our
0: path Wow, that's amazing it's to me it feels so rare to sit with a minister who said who who holds such a belief in in God as what I would know as spirituality versus like a religious institution like this is this is on the edge for me personally because it's I find it rare to meet somebody that mm. that can can kind of play it almost feels like playing in both worlds a little bit, but mm. holding a deeper a realization of a bigger picture than any physical human could like grasp hold of <laughs> wow well that's Is that's that?
1: That, that sounds big <laughs> yeah that's I, what it feels feel like, like over here I, I i i'm such a neophyte in this i'm i'm really trying to learn how to um you know kind of be in this world but not of it and but yeah and, and and you know i like the analogy of being bilingual you know that we we are human we live this life and yeah. and we're we all share that we have a common um beautiful opportunity and a common challenge that we are human and and But we all have access, uh, potential access to the divine and and to a God who is filled with grace, compassion. I, I can't say it often enough, you know, the, this God who loves us, who created us, and who uh, desires us to experience Him as compassionate and forgiving and gracious and merciful, and I do believe that love wins. Like love, mm-hmm. uh, ne- love never fails. Uh, the Apostle Paul says so, but it's so hard to trust the pathway of love, and and we slip into judgment, and we slip into. Um, comparison and we slip into trying to fix other people and we don't trust the pathway of love and i i i'm not one to speak i am so uh you know this is this is this is not i i am i am doing my i shouldn't even say i'm doing my best i i I am on this journey and i am i am thankfully uh, experiencing more and more of this in my life. And I, I, you know, I really struggle to love and I really struggle to be loved, to receive love. And so those are two, I think, very human challenges. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do believe, uh, you know, I'm putting, I'm putting my eggs in that basket, you know, uh, that, that God is a God who is filled with uh, grace and mercy and compassion and love and who has a completely different way of wooing us to live our lives differently
0: wow how do you experience god in your perspective or in your life like how how do you encounter and experience god hmm boy what a what an amazing question Uh,
1: You know, again, I you know I've been on this uh, this journey of experiencing God and growing, and I think growing in my awareness of how who God is and and how God uh, manifests and and um, reveals Him or herself to be to us. And Spirit is uh, a big part of this. That uh, you know uh, we're promised that the Spirit of God will come and lead us and guide us. And so part of it is. Uh, just getting to the point where I'm willing to say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust that. I'm gonna trust my instinct to uh, think outside of the conventional box here, or whatever. So that is something that's growing in me. I, I you know, you, you mentioned my my uh, practice of walking, mm-hmm. and uh, I have. I have realized more recently that part of part of that walking for me is not just having this conversation with God about my false self and my true self, and inviting God to be my guide and my source of, and, and in those walks, I remind myself of the nature, uh, you know, of God, the provider, the rescuer, the redeemer, uh, the you know the the hope inspiring one, and but I also love being in nature. And so this has been a big part of it, too, is just to appreciate what Richard Rohr calls the first incarnation, uh, creation itself, and being able to see and sense God's uh, uh, spirit and presence everywhere around me, whether it's in a, a tree or a, a, an animal or a, a bird or a, you know another person. And, and so I'm trying to see God present everywhere. Uh-huh. And that's one. It's it's a difficult wow. practice, you know. But it's one that I'm trying to learn how to do.
0: Yeah, I'm right with you. I, I was just on it. It's triggering in me the reminder. I was reading a book by, uh, Yoga Nanda. Mm. It's a little book, and it was quite profound. But he was talking about. Um, when you look into somebody's eyes and he talked about the different layers of the eyes, like the pupil and then the uh, colored part and the white part, I'm not totally not an eye doctor, <laughs> but there's kind of three aspects to the eye. And mm-hmm. it, he was talking about like the Trinity, like the three in one Nice. and sort of like that physical presence, but then the energetic and then the, I, there's it was just amazing and ever since then mm-hmm. uh, that whole concept that you're mentioning of like seeing god seeing the spirit of god in everything like the 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 life behind the physical form has mm-hmm. really been kind of alive in 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 my awareness as well um it's it's such a tricky concept I, i'm sure there's some people listening right now that are like might be actually rolling their eyes going like god like the word triggers them they're just like yeah. i in the in a way that might not be so positive i right. totally understand that i have yeah. been
1: there i know many of my friends are there too yeah and um you know i i would you know i i like that jesus had this great phrase used it many times you know for for the person who has the eyes to see and the ears to hear and i i often think about that that we are being invited to as we mentioned earlier to look at life differently and to see it differently and hear it differently and that's entering into this kind of this spirit realm that you referred to earlier mm-hmm. that that there is something more to life than just the physical and and i think our struggle and our frustrations and our disappointments are they're they're the little things that can nudge us towards thinking you know what maybe Maybe there is something else out there that would would bring me hope, and would bring me uh, you know a little more perspective and purpose uh, uh, in life on this planet. In fact, I you know I mean can you again? One of the things we've 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 uh, built can you on is something called hope theory, which is a really profound idea that hope in people can actually be measured and um, wow that, yeah, and it's it's super important that hope. Uh, increased hope gives a a person the ability to uh, clearly set a goal and when you're able to clearly set a goal with 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 a large amount of hope or, or a reasonable amount of hope you're then able to establish the pathways or the strategies to achieve your goal and you will also um, be able to resist or overcome the obstacles that are inevitable of, uh, in, as you journey along your pathway to uh, achieve that goal. In fact, it, it led me to take the uh, the children's game snakes and ladders and turn it into a bit of a metaphor for uh, life. You know that you know on the game snakes and ladders. It's such a classic game, and it has its roots uh, in in an Indian game that's an ancient game. Co-opted by Victorian England to teach uh, the values and virtues of Victorian Victorian England, but oh. and now it comes to us as now even sanitized a bit or less scary to children as shoots and ladders is the Canadian uh, <laughs> historical you know reality of it, but yeah you know in a game of snakes and ladders there's a uh, hundred squares you roll the dice you make your way along and you either find one of the nine ladders that will propel you a varying ladders of varying length to propel you closer to your goal of square 100 or there's 10 snakes in, in a classic game that will set you back and in fact the phrase uh, back to square one uh, finds its origin in the game of snakes and ladders so oh, wow this has become something very uh, interesting to me that we're all every human being is playing multiple games of snakes and ladders. that's simultaneously in their life. They have a fitness goal. They have a relational goal or many of them. They have many professional goals. And so we all have these square 100s and we all kind of travel along. And it's like the game. It's like we're rolling a dice and it's like so random that we don't recognize the ladders of opportunity when they come our way. And we certainly can't avoid the snakes that will set us back. And so... I think, though, that what we're talking about today and one of the things that I'm trying to apply in my own life is the awareness to recognize the ladders of opportunity when they're in front of me and, of course, the awareness to avoid stepping on that snake and sliding backwards. But when I do, which is inevitable, I now think of that snake as actually a redemptive thing in my life because it has something to teach me about um, something and so oh, wow. uh, yeah so the idea that our our obstacles or our setbacks are ac- actually redemptive opportunities for growth and transformation
0: that's amazing. I'm thinking almost like a snake is like um, what Catherine Ponder would call like recalibration, where wow. you're you're like fall down a snake, but you're you're actually recalibrating, meaning you're always moving up. Nice. Even that is that. I, I love it. That's yeah. a great way to say it. Yeah. If we can see as we're <laughs>
1: triggering and falling, you know, sliding down that snake, that no, hey, wait a second. There's something good that's going to happen out of this for me, and I just need to roll that dice again and get back. In fact, wow. there's been incredible uh, research into the games of snakes and ladders. Uh, game of snakes and ladders, and they the mathematicians have done the work, and they determined that despite the fact that there are more snakes in a game than there are ladders, that if you just stay with it and if you roll your dice 39.6 times, you will get to your square 100. Really? Yeah. So I think this is one of these great ideas. So in this... (laughs) That's amazing. There's the four positive psychological capacities uh, ingrained in the game of snakes and ladders. Hope, confidence, optimism, and resiliency. If we just keep at it, and we don't lose our hope, and we continue to uh, have friends and and uh, source of optimism in our life, which for me is a bigger perspective. Like one of the things that brings me great hope that that stops me from despairing is this idea that there's something bigger going on that I uh, don't always recognize very well. So. <laughs> And then you're resilient. Then you just keep playing the game. And ultimately, you in fact, you might find a square 100 that you didn't expect. It's way better than what you envisioned it to be.
0: Wow. Can you say those four again?
1: There's hope. Hope. Confidence. Confidence. Optimism. Which is slightly different than confidence. And I'm not sure exactly what the
0: nuances of that are. And then resiliency. Whoa. That's incredible, Roger. i like (laughs) blowing my mind as you say that. I just think about um, if you, you carried around those four principles throughout your life and thinking of it as the snakes and ladders like how profound that is. I I feel hopeful just sitting with that
1: idea. Well well, in fact you've sparked another thought in me and you are a master of this and I love your book and, and how it introduces us to this too. But that is the practice of gratitude. I think this is another thing that I'm trying to uh practice and encourage others to practice as well is when we uh, have those triggers and when we go into a bit of a dark place, one of the things that can reset us pretty quickly and pretty powerfully is the idea of being a grateful person. In fact, Research shows that the number one developed attribute that we can do uh, to promote uh, health and uh, wellness and happiness and success is gratitude. And, and there are so many ways to practice, uh, practice gratitude. And you have some great suggestions for us in your book. And I know you lived this out uh, in your own life. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm honored to have you as a friend and an influence in helping me to live that way, too.
0: Yeah, man, my heart is exploding with gratitude sitting here with you and wow. just hearing all of this. I, uh, I'm i blown away. Um, I thank you for being here. Well, Keith, thanks and, for... This is such an honor to to have you
1: here in my home and to chat with you for a bit.
0: Yeah, it is. I uh, If people want to find out about Can You what's the is their website yeah there it's you know our
1: website is never what we want it to be but it's it's uh simply uh can you canada so c-a-n-u canada all one word dot org and and there's um or you can email info at can you org, and and britney truman our program director or myself get that email and and we'd be glad to tell you a little bit
0: more about Beautiful. that Wow. Thank you so much, Roger, for being here with us today. Aww. And uh, everybody, you got to stay in touch with Roger and his work with Can You and all the other amazing projects you're up to. It's uh, You're an amazing guy to be around. Aww. Thanks, Keith. And thanks, thanks again for having me today. You bet. Thank you. All right. That concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And it is my hope that that conversation brought you more hope in your own life. Um, may your life be a game of snakes and ladders where as you roll the dice, you go up the ladder. And if you do happen to meet a snake along the way, you realize that it's recalibrating you up to a higher place to that, uh, that 100 spot at the top. I thank you so much for listening today and being part of this community. And please join me again for another episode of Let's Connect.